Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome to the Psychology Podcast, where we give you insights into the mind, brain, behavior, and creativity. I'm Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman, and in each episode, I have a conversation with a guest who will stimulate your mind and give you a greater understanding of yourself, others, and the world we live in. Hopefully, we'll also provide a glimpse into human possibility. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the podcast. Today, I'm delighted to have Sarah Aljo on the podcast. Dr. Aljo is Associate Professor of Social Psychology at the University of Virginia. Her expertise spans emotions, relationships, and health psychology. Her basic research questions illuminate the social interactions that are at the heart of high-quality relationships. These include giving to others, expressing gratitude, and sharing laughter. Thanks so much for chatting with me today, Sarah. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, your research does span quite a gamut, but there is a theme there. There's a theme. I can't quit gratitude. (laughs) There's something there. Oh, that's funny. I was going to say the theme was relationships. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah, that's what it has been, uh, especially lately. Yeah. So I thought we'd start there because gratitude seems to be only one part of a larger umbrella for you. And I thought we could start by explaining to me, what is this phrase you use? What does this mean? Positive interpersonal process. Oh, yeah, that's a great question. What is that? Sounds, well, is that something I want? Do I want that? Is that a good thing? You, for the most part, it's usually a good thing. Okay. Yeah. It's all the good stuff in your relationships. It's the reason that you want to hang out with your friends. It's the, I don't know, the goodness that infuses your very favorite relationships, maybe with your favorite aunt or a romantic partner. And so these are things like, 
laughing together and expressing gratitude and sharing moments of joy with someone. So you find out something great happened and you tell them about it and then they're excited with you. In the ideal situation, they're also excited with you. <laughs> um, and so that can amplify the kind of positivity of the moment. And so positive interpersonal processes are really these kind of great little opportunities in everyday life where one person or both people experience a positive emotion. And then by the way that it's communicated and then the, the way that the other person responds, it can provide opportunities for connection. Yeah, that's really cool. And I'm thinking of two research programs that seem to relate to this. One is Love 2.0 by Barbara Fredrickson. Yeah. That's not a research program. Sorry, that's her book. That's the book title. But uh -huh. her, her research program on the positive micro moments of love and connection. And then also, you know, you made me think of Sharon Salzberg's work on love and maybe comes in a different direction because she's not a, a psychologist, but she's a Buddhist meditator. And it, for some reason, it, I felt like it dovetailed nicely with your work of kind of having to like being in the moment with a person for a, a good, solid relationship. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's actually really interesting that you say that. So I started studying positive emotions, little moments of positive emotions. I'm gonna, if you don't mind, I'm going to give you a little bit of a history. Of, oh, please of do. How I got here. because We love it, that on the psychology podcast. everything together. And so when I was in graduate school at the University of Virginia, um, I started studying positive emotions. And I was really especially interested in how these moments between people can all these kind of everyday things that happen in their environment. So you might admire someone or somebody might do something that makes you feel grateful. And so I started studying those when I was at Virginia and I worked with three really awesome emotions researchers. So Tim Wilson, Don Haidt and Jimmy Clore. It didn't take very long for me to get into studying emotions and especially my interest in how they shape interpersonal interactions to realize that actually a lot of people who study emotions just focus on the person who's experiencing the emotion in the moment. But my interest was really in how they actually coordinate behavior between people. So I started working with gratitude way back when, and that was this moment when I was really realizing that gratitude is really about connecting people together. And if that's true, then you should be able to see the effect of one person's gratitude on the other person. And so I started getting into trying to figure out how to study these moments interpersonally, kind of really bringing in both sides of the coin. And so then I actually went off to do a postdoc with Shelley Gable, who was doing a lot of work on positive relationship processes. So she was studying how people, what happens when you share joy with someone else. And then she found that not only does it make you feel good to share your good news with people and you start to feel better about yourself, but the way that they respond really makes you, it changes the way that you think about the opportunity that came up for you. So like you've got a promotion at work and if the other person says, oh man, we're never going to see you anymore because you're going to be working all the time. <laughs> Instead of saying, oh, that's so great. You've been working so hard for that. That really makes a difference for the person who's experiencing that moment. So anyway, so she was doing all this really great stuff and awesome methodological stuff, you know, working with couples over time and looking at daily reporting from each member of the couple and doing sophisticated statistical modeling. And I really wanted to work with her to figure out how to test gratitude in this context as well, in this like more interactive kind of opportunity. So then I started, thankfully got a postdoc to, to work with Shelly as one of, the, one of my mentors. What year was this now? Uh, when was that? That was 2005. 
Yeah. And then I started talking to Barb, Barb Fredrickson. And so then I was, we kind of started having these really great conversations about positive emotions and in ongoing interactions. And so she asked me to join her lab as well. And so I was able to join her as a postdoc. And so she started studying love and kindness meditation with Sharon Salzberg. And so that was right around that time that I, we kind of all connected. And so it's funny to hear you bring up Barb and Sharon, because since that time, we've had several collaborations that kind of came as a result of that path that I took along the way. So, and she was, of course, Barb's Barden and Build theory of positive emotions was like one of the things that was really exciting to me when I started studying emotions, because gosh, I am getting really excited talking about all this right now, actually. That's great. (laughs) Great Um, But so Barb's Broad and Build Theory of Positive Emotions came out around the time that I was in graduate school studying the emotion of gratitude. And it really, again, in the same way that a lot of emotions researchers had been focused on how the emotion changes your own, the person experiencing the emotions, own thoughts and feelings and behavior, many emotions researchers had also really focused on the negative so we knew a lot about anger and sadness and things like that. And the main, sometimes researchers would study a positive emotion. They would put one in there in among all of the negative emotions just to wow. have a contrast. And it was happiness. Usually it was just happiness. Yeah. Um, and she was like, no, 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 no. There's much more to like, there's way more to our emotional in- tapestry. Yeah, there's way more richness to our, tap- our emotional tapestry. And not only that, but they're actually really valuable opportunities in people's lives. And so that was kind of, so it was really fun to kind of come full circle. And now Barbara's my colleague here and awesome friend and collaborator. Cool. That's really awesome there. But yeah, I'm also thinking of Jane Dudden's work, right? Yeah. Yeah. Jane is a wonderful researcher and really a pioneer in this area. Yeah. So the whole concept of a high quality relationship seems to dovetail so nicely with positive interpersonal processes they kind of yeah. go together like I'm trying to think of an analogy <laughs> like they're, they're like almost this exact same thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a hand in a glove and hand in a glove maybe like strawberry um, jam and blueberry jam you think they go those go well together <laughs> oh <laughs> yes no <laughs> anyway yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, they both jam they're both that's true they are both jams <laughs> what about like strawberry mango um, I think that's Sharon Salzberg, <laughs> who also belongs there. <laughs> so yes, and I, I I think she'd be okay that I just uh, likened her to <laughs> that particular flavor. But anyway, yeah. So there's this kind of I mean, it's nice when that happens. It's nice when there's the confluence of ideas. I mean, that's what we want in science. I mean, you want that, right? So that's a good thing. There's confluences. You know, I thought we could talk about some interesting nuances that I've seen in the literature. And, you know, I think it'd be fun to kind of just chat with you what you think about it. So I think there's this merging idea that positive psychology is also contextual and that like we shouldn't put these absolute labels on our emotions or actions or behaviors or traits, even traits. Like, for instance, I'm not a big fan of labeling emotions positive or negative because some seemingly positive emotions can be like you go to a, if you go to a funeral and you're in a chipper mood and and you're like I'm so happy you know people will look at you like you know inappropriate <laughs> time for positive <laughs> emotions in a little bit of, I mean so and that's just one example I mean there's plenty of negative emotions that we want to not evaporate from our system 
you know, that like are important, important. So I've tended to like to just be descriptive and describe the experience, like comfortable, exuberant, uncomfortable, painful, you know, like actually like describe as clearly as possible, actually what the experience of the emotion is without labeling whether or not that's positive or negative. That's sort of the perspective I've started to take in my own research. And I just wanted to throw that out there and think what you thought of that. Yeah, no, I think I absolutely agree with you. And I really respect that that position. And it's helpful because it gives me an opportunity to actually really clarify that when I'm talking about a positive, when I say positive emotion, I mean the valence. So in mm. the moment that you're experiencing it, is it generally enjoyable? Is it more or less pleasant? And so the more pleasant it feels when you're experiencing it, the more positive. And so it's, you, I also, as an emotions researcher, am comfortable with people with the idea that people have, can have, and actually as a meditator, as an emotions researcher and a meditator, I'm comfortable with the idea that people can experience or kind of co-experience positive and negative emotions simultaneously. So in this, so this comes up actually when talking about gratitude, I think some people mistake the situations that sometimes people mistake situations that cause gratitude for situations that cause indebtedness or, you know, just because someone does something for you, Servitude. beholden to them. And so yeah. therefore, and just by kind of objectively describing the situation, they would assume that you have this. But I would say, based on my research, that indebtedness is a, a negative feeling and it's a more uncomfortable, a negative emotion. And it's a more uncomfortable, you might say uncomfortable, unpleasant emotion. Whereas gratitude is a pleasant emotion and they can kind of co-occur even within moments of each other. So you might think like, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. You didn't have to do that for me. And they feel this gratitude and then immediately followed by, oh gosh, there's no way I can repay that person. And that's okay by my, for my definition, it still works to kind of have both. And then it helps me to make additional predictions based on valence. Um, So Barb's broaden and build theory really taps, Barb Fredrickson's broaden and build theory really taps into the valence component as providing these opportunities for broadening your perspective. And I have another paper with a student where he has this really cool series of studies showing that for emotions that are experienced as being more pleasant, when we experience those emotions, we actually experience greater agency. And so valence, valence is a real dimension and it really has these different psychological implications. And so for me, that's why it makes sense. And so far I'm comfortable with continuing to call the more pleasantly experienced emotions as positive emotions. And I absolutely agree that those don't always produce positive or I would say beneficial outcomes. So, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate your perspective as well. And I think that it has become a little unwieldy for me in trying so hard to do this. It's like someone who wants to like, that's just determined in our society today to replace all gender pronouns with like gender neutral. Uh-huh. And so you try to make sure everything, and it's hard because you're living in a world that, that you're going against a grain. This new book I'm working on, I'm, I set out the principle in the beginning that I don't want to use the label positive or negative. But once I set myself to that task, I'm actually finding it's like I keep slipping. It's so much easier to say positive or negative as opposed, you know, I'm like, I get to all these tricky situations because then I say, well, comfortable. No, it's not really comfortable. You know, that doesn't really describe all, all the all experience is a positive emotion, but it's not comfortable. 
So what do I label that? So now I actually have to invent different subclasses of experiential labels for different classes of emotions. And I'm doing that, but I don't know if I'm right. And it's certainly just my subjective impression. I'm like, oh, well, to me, that feels not pleasant. It's not just pleasant. I mean, like, would you describe, you know, like transcendent love as pleasant? <laughs> you know, no, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? <laughs> no, there's more to it, but that's one of the core features of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> but but it's like, that doesn't fully describe it. Like, I want to really like nail like how certain things really feel, but it's hard. <laughs> It's hard. Yeah. So anyway, I think it's a lot easier from a uh, just a descriptive like communication perspective. Sometimes like, you know, yeah. just from like two people communicating with each other easily, there are certain benefits for certain things. So anyway, yeah. thank you for that perspective. Now you have a specific theory I wanted to talk about called the find, remind and bind theory of gratitude. You positive most researchers love catchy names for things. You all love that stuff. Okay. Um, <laughs> it is catchy. I will admit. <laughs> I know. I feel like that's a very Barbara Fredrickson thing to, thing yeah. to do. <laughs> so, yeah. Could you tell me a little bit about that theory of yours and how it may is differentiated from some other theories of gratitude in the literature? Yeah. So, I'll start with what the find, find, and mind theory is. And that is that moments of gratitude. Actually, let me start with my definition of gratitude. Great. Because that matters. Because a lot of people use gratitude in different ways in their everyday life. And so when I'm talking about the emotion of gratitude, it's an emotion that a person can experience when someone else does something nice for them. And a starting point that I like to use is that we don't always notice when somebody does something nice for us, objectively. Somebody else might say, that was really nice of them to do, but you might not even notice because you expect it from the person. We might have a lot of different kinds of emotions when they do this nice thing for us. Some of them might be negative. I mean, you seem like a very nice person, but I sometimes feel like, what do they want from me? Uh, <laughs> every once in a while, you're like, uh-oh, what's going on here? Um, or you, That's like, human nature, right? It's totally human yeah. nature. Or like, you might think, um, oh gosh, why did they think I would want that? But anyway, yeah. sometimes their gesture really stands out and you feel grateful. It's this positive emotion. And so what I say is that moments when we experience gratitude, it's that we notice that someone else has really gone out of the way on our behalf and that they might make a good relationship partner. And it's not necessarily explicit, but so we can, gratitude helps alert us to people in our environment who are good for us, who are looking out for our best interests. So it helps to find new people who we, maybe we didn't notice before or you know, we kind of get used to people who we have regular interactions with and it might remind us of, oh, that's what I love about you. And then and the emotion kind of coordinates your mind and body and behavior in that moment to help set you up to actually bind yourself more closely with that other person. So we might do things to make sure that they know that we really appreciated it or that we care about them too. And ultimately, my data now shows that those kinds of gestures actually can help draw the other person closer into the relationship, even closer than they were when they first did the nice thing. They probably did the nice thing for you because they liked you in the first place. And then, um, yeah, so we're, we have some nice evidence about that process. Thank you for explaining that. So I'm trying to think if bind is the right word because it's like, you're not saying you're then bound. No. So there's a difference between bind and bound, I guess, right? Oh. <laughs> like you're not yeah. saying that like by doing this you are actually as a contract you're not no. actually it's not like a contextual binding exactly okay. yeah thanks for clarifying that 
right. Yeah. yeah okay. Absolutely. Good. It's, Whew, it's because just, that's uh, not conducive to positive interpersonal relationships to feel as though you are actually bound to the person, right? That's not good. Yeah. yeah okay. Well, and that's the, thing, that's the thing that differentiates it a little bit. We have to kind of have these tit for tat relationships with people just to go through everyday social life. This is how we get through the world. You do, you scratch my back, I scratch your back. Mm -hmm. If I don't repay a favor, then you're not going to want to do that favor for me necessarily in the future. Mm -hmm. So we have to have that kind of exchange type of relationship with lots of people just to kind of navigate social life. But this is a different kind of potential relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's based on this idea that like, wow, this person just seems to be open to looking out for my best interests. And uh, it's a qualitatively different kind of experience. And so the emotion really motivates you to, it's like a desire. You really want to make sure that they yeah. know, oh my gosh, you're so great. Did you see what this person just did? I can't believe you did that. You know, it's yeah. like, it's more of an approach orientation. Right. And it also seems to be something though, that is not tied to that necessity for tit for tat. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we tend to have gratitude towards people who, like you said, don't seem like they want something in return. Yes. That seems to increase the likelihood we'll have gratitude for a person. But what about this sort of like just general domain, general gratitude that yeah. one can cultivate as just a way of being in the world? Yeah. You know, in, in David Ian's a collaborator of mine, he's at, at Penn and he doing, he's doing great work on transcendent experiences. And he laid out in a review paper he wrote recently, actually, Jonathan Hyde, your mentor, I was a co-author of that paper, laying out a whole self-transcendent emotion continuum. And gratitude is on that continuum as there are self-transcendent positive emotions, which are different than other positive emotions. So it seems like gratitude falls within kind of a unique class of mm -hmm. positive emotions there that allow us to really transcend self-interest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and that's one of the things that we find is so Actually, so just so I can come back to the question about domain general gratitude. Um, yeah. I have a different answer about that. But cool. um, regarding gratitude as a self-transcendent emotion, that's really what our most recent evidence is showing is that cool. we've been trying to do some comparisons between the social consequences of feeling something like joy, which would be I got a positive outcome for myself. Mm -hmm. So just perfectly, it's a wonderful experience as opposed to gratitude, which is, I got a positive outcome for myself because of your praiseworthy actions. Yeah. And so... It's elevating as height. Let's yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And so it's because of the praiseworthiness of your actions. And so we've been doing work to show that this, really the social consequences of gratitude go beyond just feeling joy. And so if I feel grateful to you, it's, and you will experience a consequence because my gratitude will... I will naturally be inclined to make sure that you know it in a way that, you know, really calls out what it is about your, what you did that was praiseworthy. And then that has an impact on you. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's fun looking at your work and looking at the development of your thinking. And I'm thinking also, you know, how that interacts with the development of your collaborators thinking, you know, so at the time in 2005, when you're working with Jonathan Haidt, had he had he come up with the elevating emotions construct yet? Was that there? Yeah. Did that exist? Yeah. Yeah. Did. Yeah. So he, um, when I first started working with him, he had just maybe published one. He had published some stuff with Dacker Keltner on awe, I think, right around that time. And then he cool. was publishing some stuff on elevation. And I think right around that time, he won the Templeton Prize. 
as well for his work on elevation. And so the reason that I actually started working with John was on my interview with him. Um, or one, one of the one of the I don't know in our one of our first my first meetings with him he told me about this idea of elevation and he was like, we need some data. And so I said, that sounds great. I'm really intrigued by that. And then we cool. wanted to compare it with a few other positive emotions. And one of the things that he said was, you know, something that I've been noticing is that when, so elevation is when you see another person, it's not related to, you just see one person do something nice for a third party. Yeah. And so there's no benefit to you, but you see this and it can be really moving to see that. Actually, there are a lot of commercials where they have this kind of like pay it forward thing. Like you see someone helps help somebody pick up something and then they go off and do something. But anyway, so that's what elevation is. And he said, when I ask people about their experiences of when they see this happen and they have this feeling, a lot of people say that they want to thank the person who originally, you know, was kind to someone else. Yeah. And so he's like, we need to know more about gratitude. And so I was, I jumped into the literature and I didn't know, I would just say the, the literature was, there was some really healthy reviews out there, but it just didn't resonate with me um, yeah. as, especially because Barb's work was coming out around that time about positive emotions. And it was like, it was all about economics. The mm. gratitude literature at the time was really about economics and it wasn't, didn't seem infused with this um, idea of broadening or these real opportunities. Hmm. Bob Emmons' research around that time was yeah. economic oriented? No, 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 no. Bob Emmons was doing research on counting your blessings, which is very positive. Right. And there was a really foundational, a foundational yeah. view, um, McCullough and Emmons and a Kilpatrick and Larson. Is a really wonderful review. And it was a review of the literature that had been done. And so they concluded things that are still, I would say, are still true to this day that when you experience, now I, I won't remember the three things that they concluded about gratitude, but that, uh, let me try, let's give myself a little test. So they, that gratitude is a morality detector. So when someone else does something good, it's a moral reinforcer. So when I thank you, you're more likely to do something nice for me in the future again, or like the same thing again. And that was all stuff that had been demonstrated. And then there's one more thing. It's about repayment or something like that. And that's all totally accurate. And it was based on literature that other people had, studies that other people had done. And they weren't interested in gratitude as an emotion. They were really interested in like the question, actually a totally different question, which is like, why would anybody ever be nice to stuff? Yeah. Why would it involve, it evolve? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. well, no, no, this is about altruism. So yeah. their question was like, why would anyone ever reciprocal not, not, altruism? Yeah. yeah. It wasn't McCullough and stuff, but like the people who were doing the research were yeah. like, why would you ever be nice to someone? Well, it's probably because yeah. the other person of course feels grateful when you do something nice for them, which we now know isn't true. And then the more gratitude they feel, the more likely they will be to repay you for the thing. So then your costs are balanced. And so that's the way that previous researchers had kind of come at that question. And I just came at it from a different perspective of really like looking at emotions and thinking about positive emotions in these like really uplifting experiences. So again, like every, that review is awesome. Everything that they've concluded, almost everything that they conclude. I have a little twist on one of the conclusions that I think adds to this relationship side of things, but everything that they concluded is like really well supported. But it just yeah. felt like it didn't resonate with me because I didn't yeah. have that. When I experience gratitude, <laughs> I think, oh my gosh, you didn't have to do that. But so yeah, it was an awesome review. And then, but then Bob Evans's work was 
his, the, the thing that he led at the time was about counting your blessings. Mm. And that's really another way that people think about gratitude a lot. And that gets back to your question about general orientation right. toward life. Yeah. I yeah. can say more about that. You... There's like a analog to loving kindness for all humans, even your enemies. There's an analog in the gratitude world, it seems like. There's a domain general like brother or sister to that, right? So like the general gratitude? Yeah, yeah just, because just like, you know, loving kindness meditation, you can like generalize it to all the cosmos. Yeah. You can go all the way up with that one. You know, you I can like do the same it. thing with gratitude. I like it. <laughs> and awful. you can go all the way down as well and be like, I'm only going to have gratitude, like, you know, some people are like, I only have gratitude to people who are loyal to me. <laughs> like the Godfather version. <laughs> yeah. There's like an in-group gratitude only. <laughs> so I really think that like, you know, there's a continuum of gratitude there that we're of, of in terms of like how expansive yeah. is yourself. Oh, that's really interesting yeah. to think about. Yeah. Because I think about it in a di really different way. So now you've got me. I'm, well, I'm just throwing that out there. I don't know if it makes any sense. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, I don't know. So I try to make a kind of a dichotomy for my own brain yeah. <laughs> when I'm doing my research, which is like, I name that the other kind of gratitude, which is, so which I'll define right now is like appreciating the good things in your life, like understanding that you have these really amazing blessings in your, mm. you know, wow, this good thing, thing happened to me. And I have, you know, like the, or the sky is blue or whatever. And I, for my own ease, I call that appreciation which is a more cognitive yeah. construct and it's easier for me. But I, I do agree with you that it, I often think about how appreciation came to be. Because the other way that I think about appreciation, the way I just defined it, is as a meta-positive emotion. Yeah, I like the idea of a meta-positive emotion. So you have it, yeah. I feel like there is a superordinate category that, of a way of being in this world that blends, and I'm going to throw some things out here. It blends gratitude. It's like, okay, you tell me what you get when you get the perfect fusing of these things. Gratitude, mindfulness, savoring, death acceptance. I'm throwing that one in there. I'm throwing Whoa. that one in there. That came from out of left field. But no, it's not. I really, this, I really think that when you combine these things, you have a way of seeing and perceiving the world that you're like, constantly on as Abraham Maslow referred to it as like a high plateau not the peak experience but you living your life turned on all the time yeah so I think there is this you said meta but there's a superordinate something mm -hmm. that construct that hasn't been well studied in the field but that lies above some of these things so anyway something to yeah. think about <laughs> and study well yeah. something to study oh, I, not just think about we're scientists <laughs> Think about this study. Think about some more. <laughs> anyway. No, I like that yeah. idea, though. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. But, and yeah. the other thing about appreciation is that, I mean, there's some pretty good evidence or, you know, gratitude or like the having a grateful disposition and just kind of having a way of being in the world where you get that there's a lot of goodness in your life. And it, and you can see it in the everyday little things. You don't need to have yeah. some somebody do something for you. You don't need to have... Um, an amazing luxurious house or you know whatever the, the things are that you need in your life um mm. but just as a way of being in the world there's a, i was thinking about it actually walking into my office leading up to this our conversation today that it seems like it the data suggests that it's actually necessary for mental health um so yeah. there's some cool 
yeah. So that's something else to play around with. And no, I might not. Tell me what's cool. <laughs> You're going to tell me something cool. And then you just didn't tell me. Sure, sorry. So, <laughs> I'm on the edge of my seat. Like, you say you can tell me something cool. Yeah, really tend to suggest that. So people who are not mentally, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's just a correlation between mm. having, being a grateful person and having better mental health. Okay. But that is actually like a necessary precondition. And I, you know, I could write that paper, but I can't pull all the data points for you right now. <laughs> no, I mean, you're obviously hitting on something really existentially profound. I mean, you're kind of making a case that what, even though you haven't said it, is like the famous answer to the question, why not kill myself? You know, like we as scientists need to answer that question as well being researchers. And I think that's actually a good question for us positive psychologists to help clarify our priority list of things that we study. And it sounds to me like you're saying one of those th reasons is that we can generate gratitude in our lives. You know, it's, and that's almost an essential. Yeah. So I think this is actually a really interesting question. And even within the field, what are the essentials, you know, and what are yeah. the, like, the luxuries of, you know, I'm trying to think right now, what would I... Because I like them all. They're all good. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, what's, what's a luxury? Like, well, no, I'm not, that was not a luxury for me. Um, awe? No, you know what? If you take awe away from my life, no. Gratitude? No. Yeah, I'm just trying to think, what, are there any luxuries? There certainly are some that differ in their strength of correlation with well-being. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if that's the right way to answer the question. But yeah. anyway. So you, in 2009, wrote this paper with Jonathan Haidt on what you called other praising emotions. And it seemed like you divided it into two classes. Oh, not two classes, but you differentiate other praising emotions such as elevation, which is a response to moral excellence, gratitude, and admiration. You differentiated them from joy and amusement. So linking that to your most recent work on positive interpersonal processes, it seems like you make a differentiation then. Ergo, in your positive interpersonal processes work, you make a differentiation between in our relationships, other praising emotions versus other positive emotions. Do you make that same differentiation in your positive interpersonal processes work now? Oh, no, because I've come to decide that, well, especially, I think, I mean, Shelley Gable's work on capitalization is just uh, awesome. And everybody should go find out everything they can about it. Um, Agreed. But it what, and yeah, to do the reading. But it, you know, that's about joy. That's actually about your own joy. And yeah. one of the things that we found in that 2009 paper was this echoes what Shelley talks about and just coincidentally, which is that, you know, I think in our paper, like we asked people what they did when they experienced joy, when something good happened to them. And I think I'm right, like 80% of the people said that they told somebody else about it. They're like, oh. and we call it broadcasting. They told other people. And that's, I mean, that's all of Shelley's work is what I described is, is about this, so this, that she had doing separately and in more wonderful ways. But, um, but it's just a nice coincidence. Or is it? But anyway. Um, anyway, so what we found there is like people still do this kind of social thing with their own emotion. And then, like I said, Shelley's work has really shown that that matters too. You can really make great connections. And actually the best way of responding when someone shares good news with you is just to be excited for them. If you, yeah. if you want to preserve the relationship and if you want to, maybe there are something, we sometimes have 
negative feelings about our like oh i don't know if i would have made that choice you know when somebody shares some good news with us but like just being there for them and being being excited about the thing that they're excited about because you care and you know that they care about it actually is a really cool opportunity for connections and important connections. So she shows that those opportunities for connections are even better predictors of your feelings of support from that person, your perceptions that that person gives you support mm. than when that person actually gives you support. Wow. Like, so, when, you, like when you say something negative. In negative times. Yeah. Yeah, and so those positive moments between people really matter. And it's like a test. These are everyday things like, oh, I got a paper accepted or yeah. uh, not, that's not an everyday thing, but you know, I got a paper it's accepted. It's a way to test people. <laughs> see how, I feel like it's like a test. It's a way of testing people. Like, you know, if you really want to test your friendship, yeah. it seems counterintuitive. Exactly. But if I said to someone, tell me the best way to test a friendship, it's like, are they there when I need them? You know, it's like, yeah. no, no, I would actually, you know, see how genuinely excited they are with your positive news. Seems like that's a very contextual thing, though, because it seems like just as positive that can be when you seem authentic, if you react to someone's positive news in a positive way, but you don't come across as though you genuinely care, that seems to be just as bad. It seems to be that's another one of these contextual things that I want to point out here, because it's like, you know, I was really sick the other day, just really high fever, and someone um, was telling me some good news of theirs, and I really inside cared, <laughs> uh-huh. but I was like, you know, they couldn't overlook the fact that like I was sick. Like it was just like, oh, you don't really care. You know, and it's like, my gosh, what do I do in this moment? You do everything you can. This person's <laughs> taking it so personally. And like, I'm like, trust me inside. I'm really excited. I'm jumping. I'm jumping. <laughs> I just can't breathe right now because I have a high fever. But do you know what I mean? It seems like people can, can be really sensitive with people as well. Yeah. We all just need to maybe be a little more like, you know, as well human as human and with each other. But yeah. Exactly. No, and I mean, sincerity is the thing. All of our research, Shelley's work and, and, and my work and a lot of the work in the relationships domain really emphasizes that these, you know, these things work when the other person who's responding is perceived to actually be understanding and actually seems to care and actually seems validating. That's the pers- that kind of effect that it has on you that can then translate to these downstream, you know, feeling like that person is around for you in the future. So yeah, sometimes, you know, people are strange and that's why we study them. <laughs> actually, I would say wonderfully strange. Oh, and I love people. Well, that's why we do what we do. It, it, I mean, comedians live for the absurdity of the world. And I don't think that psychologists are fundamentally different in their motivations than comedians, to be honest, except uh, we just are more nerdy, maybe, and how we go about our methods. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell me a little bit about some meta-analyses on gratitude interventions? I can. <laughs> yeah. I can tell you a little bit. This is basically the meta and really, it's like two sentences. The meta-analysis... Oh, take your time. Take your time. No, I mean, it's like the meta-analyses of graduate intervention suggest that they work, especially for people who need them the most. So there are lots of ways that people have done graduate interventions. And, and I would say, because I've been watching literature for a few years, I think researchers have started to discover more, more effective ways of having people do these interventions. And so I think some of the earlier work had a little bit of a lighter touch. And so 
was maybe harder to have a big impact on everybody who was in it. And some of the more recent stuff, so Sonia Libramursky has a really impressive body of work on these gratitude interventions. And I've noticed that they have turned more toward having people do interpersonal gratitude. So they actually say somebody that they feel grateful to, or they actually kind of, yeah, so they kind of acknowledge somebody else's actions as opposed, specifically as opposed to counting your blessings, or they have them maybe write a note to that person. And so those are some of the more, so it's kind of interesting that, that the literature has shifted a little bit. And one of the reasons for that, I would say, is because we know that relationships are so robustly associated with mental and physical health. And so in my mind, it really makes sense that the, to the extent that thinking about the nice things that other people do for us and feeling grateful for those things can help us to feel more close and connected to those people and feel like we have a safe you know, set of relationships, then that would really naturally lead to having better mental health. I don't know that many people have, or anybody's really tested that idea carefully, but it's, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense for the literature. So I would say there's a effectiveness of the interventions has started to get better. So the meta-analyses that I've seen really support the conclusion that the gratitude interventions really work well for people who need them the most. And that's one of the reasons that I have this idea that gratitude seems to be necessary, <laughs> a necessary precondition. Because mm. people who already feel grateful, mm. they're not going to move up higher in their mental health necessarily. It's kind of a weird argument that I'm coming up with off the cuff. But anyway, so if it's the case that, yes, yeah, so basically, if you're doing really well, mental, you've got fine mental health or reasonably good mental health, you're, you don't have depression, then one possibility is that you, when I ask you to do a gratitude intervention, like where you're writing about the good things in your life, you don't have very much room to move up mm. on the happiness scale. For example, you fill up the happiness scale and you're pretty happy already. And so there's not a lot of room to move up. Mm. So maybe that's true. Or it might be that people really need people who are already, who already have gratitude in their lives, who are already happy, maybe they already have gratitude in their lives. Maybe they already count their blessings on a regular basis and think about the good things in their lives. Um, so it's like a restricted so, range. So then that might be why the gratitude interventions don't do as much right. for people who are already mentally healthy. But in either case, it seems like gratitude feels like it's a necessary part of the equation. Is that right, though? Because maybe it's know. a... Maybe it really is an inverted U-shaped curve sort of phenomenon. Totally possible. Mm. Yeah. I'm making this up. <laughs> well, I mean, so am I in terms of... <laughs> we're, we're, no, no, it's totally... We're just thinking through possibilities. Yeah. I think the other thing that I would say about the gratitude interventions is that they, they really do show a lot of promise. Um, Sonia has been talking a lot recently about potential variations. So they might not be great for everybody and sometimes they might backfire for some people. I couldn't tell you the specifics of the findings that she has, but I have seen a few. I saw her give a talk about a year ago and she was going over it because she has a massive amount of data. <laughs> was that at the international, was that at the IPA conference? Yeah. But, I was thinking the same, I'm thinking of the same talk. Uh, we were yeah. both in the room together. Oh, cool. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> 
so she mm. and it was a great talk and i mean so she was really going through and i think there was like a so one consideration is a cultural consideration and the extent to which gratitude is valued or the extent to which thinking about the good things that other people do for you might also bring up indebtedness simultaneously and we talked about that a little bit earlier and so then you would have this kind of negative obligatory feeling as opposed to feeling like oh and now you're like oh i forgot to do something for this other person and i really get on that i'm bound it's great work and she also which is why i'm thinking the inverted u-shaped curves thing because she said that there seems to be a dosage effect there's such things too much gratitude mm-hmm. practices during your week that it's like a hedonic too much of anything is, you know, Schwartz and Grant, their paper on all the character strengths, any, too yeah. much of anything, you kind of get burnt out. You can get burnt out with gratitude, or at least if not burnt out, it's not as novel. Right. And not, I would say not only novel, but I don't know if you've ever tried a gratitude practice, but... I have. Oh, you have? Good. How did, it, how did it go for you? Really, really great. I find that gratitude, infusing it more in my daily life really shifts my perspective in a in a very positive direction so for me personally it's been very very good oh good yeah, yeah. that's my experience as well yeah but if you do it too much then yeah yeah so i i would say not only novel yeah maybe novelty but maybe authenticity slips a little bit yeah. too so you feel like you have to find something and so it's like mm, yeah that thing but it doesn't it's not like genuine oh yeah that was this great moment or this person's or i just really appreciated that swim this morning or whatever it might be yeah there, there we go again with the appreciation versus gratitude are they the same thing <laughs> <laughs> i have worked it into my vocabulary <laughs> <laughs> oh wow we have such an evolution even within a one-hour chat of I know. Uh, <laughs> well i want to end with uh, not a gratitude but another topic that when I was digging through your papers, I found this amazing paper that you wrote with Jonathan on moral amplification and the emotions that attach us to saints and demons. And it really, I found it so thought-provoking. It, could you mind if we talk about it a little bit? You argue that, that a part of human nature is to divide the world into angels and demons. That's like maybe a social cognitive bias that we have built into ourselves this has some pretty deep implications, right? For lots of things. Anyway, I thought I'm going to stop talking about your own paper and like no, tell me what you it's think. Just, it's been a long time since I. <laughs> <laughs> I do dig up old things. Yes. <laughs> no, um, I mean, I don't have a lot to say about the paper because I very sincerely haven't thought about that for quite a while. But it is, it is the case that praise and blame. I mean, even if you just take this dimension of, of praise and blame, we do very quickly do that and then yeah the argument is that morality really amplifies that and that's as much as i've got (laughs) it seems to me that too much gratitude is not good because it it seems like we need the contrast in our lives this is my way of integrating everything uh that we talked about (laughs) including that paper it seems like you know we won't know whether or not something's gratitude until we see a devil by devil i mean someone who's out to get you and it's obvious that they are not giving you something for self, purely selfish, selfless reasons, right? Yeah. So that when we see it, because we, ah, there's the contrast. Yeah. And then we appreciate it even more. Anyway, look, I can't thank you enough for the work you've done for the field. And yeah, chatting with me today. Thanks a lot, Sarah. Yeah. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. Such a joy. It's nice to see you. Oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very positive interpersonal process. Yeah.
<laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Psychology Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to react in some way to something you heard, I encourage you to join in the discussion at thepsychologypodcast.com. That's thepsychologypodcast.com. Also, please add a rating and review of the Psychology Podcast on iTunes. Thanks for being such a great supporter of the podcast, and tune in next time for more on the mind, brain, behavior, and creativity. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional. You can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.